see this day. Thank you, Lord, for protecting us through the night. We are about to go into our devotion and pray, Lord, that as we read, that you grant us of your Holy Spirit to give us understanding, that we understand the true import of the message you have for us this morning. We pray, Father, that by your grace, you also give us power to put into practice all that we learn. Do this and take the glory in Jesus' name of prayed. September 13, the home training ground. Okay. I remember, like we said yesterday, about um, children needing gu- uh, guardianship. Like you, you can remember the fact that, like tender plants, they, or like plants that are just growing, they look for different direction. They work based on emotions. Let me just put it that way. They work based on emotion, or they work based on how they feel. They do not seem to have any principle that guides them. So if you leave them, they'll grow like wild weed or grass anywhere they want to put their head in. So it will not be good to leave them because at the end of the day they will achieve nothing. So here parents act like God, training them to obedience. The reading mentions specifically to obedience and it says that parents are to help their children to keep this commandment by acting their part with God in cooperating with God to in requiring obedience through childhood and youth. So, and the purpose for this is also so that the child will learn how to obey God afterwards because obedience is learnt. And we are told that Christ learnt obedience by the things which he suffered. So there were circumstances that led him to learn how to obey as a child. So we too should require such from both ourselves because the reading says we should put ourselves under both from the children after we have learned how to obey then we require it from the children there's a method for which this can be done but at least we know this is our objective require obedience at the hands of children and also at our their our own self so that we can be able to do the work well the line that says um but it is in the family it is in the family relation that we receive our training in dealing with our fellow men in general. I, it, it calls to mind the, some, the, the word written about Abraham that um, in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. So if anyone is a child of Abraham who has believed in Jesus Christ, if anybody is a believer in, uh, in the commandments and faith of Jesus, then the person is supposed to be a blessing to the families of the earth. And the reading tells us how. It is by the training you have undergone in the family, in your own family, in the believer's family, that you now go out to become a blessing to all other families of the earth. For it is the word of God that it is in the family relation that we receive our training in dealing with our fellow men in general. So this will now explain why God will say, For I know him. For he shall command his household after him to keep the way of the Lord, and you know that was how he blessed all the families of the earth, apart from the fact that Christ came through his lineage. But even all of them are the same thing because we see also a part, and that 
uh, scripture in Psalms that says that in the house of the righteous, in the family of the righteous, there is salvation. That is, that you find the Savior of them. That should be the idea. I'm talking about the ideal family now. That should be the idea that God has set. But I'll still talk about what we are seeing in reality. In reality, we are not seeing ourselves following this pattern. It is because of the family is not being ordered in a way that God has said they should be ordered. Then we are learning the very lessons that the devil teaches in the family. And then instead of being a blessing to the to the families of the earth, we are becoming curses to them. Every man we see on the street, every human being we see on the street com comes from a family. Whether it is a nuclear family or whether it is a single uh, a single parent that raised up the person or a foster parent. The person must have come out from an association of individuals that call themselves a family. And I am thanking God that he is giving us this standard so that if we have, if the mistake has been made on us, that we have not learned the ideas of Christian character in our homes, we can change that now. We will be fathers and we will be mothers. Or individuals who God will place others under their fostering care. Because it's still the same commandment. We can now change this routine by following the standard that God has given. So that those individuals, when they leave our influence, like how, uh, they, how the people that were staying under Abraham were not necessarily his children. When they leave our influence, they can become people like Eliezer, who is going to do what his master Abraham said. He, he had his own personal faith in God, and when he prayed, he saw God answering his prayer. Those people become blessings to the world, and I think this is the reason for our educational institutions to prepare individuals who are going to be blessings. And this is one lesson I've learned. I'm going to speak on that. Amen. The first paragraph there, in the middle of it, it says, But it is in the family relation that we receive our training in dealing with our fellow men in general. If God had no law by which to govern human intelligences, nothing by which his character could be represented as a sample to which the human family could shape their characters, then what impression could possibly be made upon our children as to what constitutes rectitude of life and perfection of character? So it means that if I'm receiving or any child receiving their ideas on how to relate to their fellow men from the family, then it's, it's really true that whatever we do outside is because of what we learned in the house. Most of, or let me say in the schools too, because people spend a lot of time in school these days. So family has an influence, school still has an influence. So what you learn in the house on how to relate to your fellow men is how you will treat people outside. If the parents are insulted, the child will also think it is alright to be insulted. If they mock and jest, the child will also think so. But if such things are not found in the family and or are even corrected or frowned upon, a child will know that in relating with fellow men, these things are not right. But then we have already been told in the reading generally that parents have an obligation to be under the rule of God. It's not that every family should have different rules on how they operate. Actually, we are all families of God. They have one God. Everybody is supposed to function. Not necessarily exactly the same rule, but at least the same principle. The same principle of love should govern every family. And that is the Ten Commandments. That's why at the last paragraph it says the Ten Commandments came forth from the God of Heaven 
whose heart is full of love, who is infinite in wisdom, who never makes a mistake. He is too wise to err, too good to harm anyone who will obey his requirements. Blessing will follow those who obey and who administer the law of Jehovah. So that's what the parents are supposed to do. Administer the law of Jehovah in the home. How? One way has been said before that the parents must reveal precious traits of character presenting a pattern before their children, manifesting patience and forbearance mingled with firmness and thus educate their children to obey their Heavenly Father. So, while being firm on what the requirements of God is on the children, they must first of all be an example. If you are saying people should sleep early or uh, eat this food or do this thing, you must be an example to the child and let them know that this is the right thing to do by example, not just by precept. Because children will always want to point to you just as she goes in the day. Are you not eating? You are eating three times. You just need to eat between meals. So they need to know, they need to see an example and know that, okay, this is the right thing to do. And not only are you telling me, I'm seeing it because you confuse the child when you say one thing but do another thing. I was speaking with someone yesterday who has that kind of issue in the home. Father, see, Every time it's not good for girls to wear trousers. Uh, it's wrong to to walk on Sabbath. God will bless those who do not walk on Sabbath. Yet, when it's time to go and buy things on Sabbath, he's done that. He is in control of the children, all of them. And it's time for exam yesterday. We're writing CBT. So we stay at home. Don't go to don't go to church. Write the exam. Then told another of the elder one to stay with that one and help the person in the exam or Sabbath. And the children are confused, discussing it inside the room. That our parents are like this. They are double-minded. Though the children are on as a, like negative, they have very bad, maybe bad characters. But yeah, they can point out in the parents and say, Daddy and Mommy are double-minded. They will say one thing and do another thing. That's how they see their parents. So they can't even follow. The idea that I've been communicated to those children is that these things are actually not wrong. It's just that it is making it making life difficult for us. Because right from time we were small, he always say, don't do it, don't do it. He has never shown us from the Bible. All he says, don't do it. But when he sees us doing it, he never stops us. And he does that means it's not by example. And then when they look at mommy, mommy is going against everything that he's saying. And daddy does not. We don't hear them. We don't hear him saying anything. So it's more like lip service. Both in his part and in the wife's part and the children's part, it's just words because the character is not conveying the words that are being said. So, the best way a parent can really be a pattern, show a pattern, is not by words alone, but by words and by and by precepts and by example. In the case of the family you mentioned now, I, I, I have uh, some thoughts also. The, Sometimes some parents do this kind of thing because in their mind they they seem to say uh, so that it will be on record that I said this thing. It is righteousness to them to just say it. So that it will be that I used to teach them this, I used to teach them that. But we forget that um, example, our lives are actually the sermon itself more than what we say. 
what a man says does not worth as much as what a man is himself. And parents who do this great uh, crime, after everything, they will be saying, I, I've never told you that stealing is, ra is wrong. It's right, I mean. I've never said you should go and uh, uh, fornicate. I've never said you should, uh, you should go and uh, kill somebody. How come you're now becoming bad like this? It's because of the things you have been teaching him or her by example. And when you break one commandment, you have given the license to break any other commandment. You don't need to say, I only broke this one now. How come you are breaking the other one? I only lied. How come you are stealing? That is the example that has been set. And then it's making us to have false conceptions of God. They mentioned it in a way. You know, when they say that if God had no law by which to govern human intelligences, nothing by which his character could be represented as a sample, which the human family could shape their characters, then what impression could possibly be made upon our children as to what constitutes rectitude of life and perfection of character? The false ideas of God that is reigning everywhere now is because of the kind of things we have been learning from, at least majorly because of the things we learn from our homes. If our parents are vacillating and they don't stand for what is right, we will think that that is how God is. And when a minister is preaching about righteousness, about taking things seriously, we will say, I beg, we will read them with uh, the way our parents behave. Because our parents have given us wrong views of God. Or those who have been under their care have given us wrong views of God. Thank God that today we can look at the Bible again and correct these views. For God will not hold, why God will judge them or God will take care of that matter on their own side. We that have come to the age of accountability now should begin to re, you know, change from all those things because that's, uh, that's the reason why we have Jesus as a Savior who saves us from the, all these sins that we have in, uh, both by, we have inherited and we have cultivated by virtue of what we have seen. Cultivated is by virtue of education. We have been educated to have some evil tendencies, evil characteristics and evil thoughts about God. And that quote that in Zerbogi says, Redemption is the emancipation from ideas, habits, and practices that are learned in the school of the prince of darkness. Talking about the school of the prince of darkness, the second to last paragraph says, Satan delights to look upon disordered and ill-governed families, for his success depends largely upon the control he can have over the families of earth. His success in depraving humanity. His success in ensuring that the plan of redemption will not work for me or for any other person there is to ensure that he will have he will disorder families and make them ill-governed and he will have a control over them he is determined that the standard of righteousness shall not be the rule for the formation of character that is what he wants to do and he has been using our families as his mini mini schools, as the home lessons to teach iniquity and vice. We will learn how to do every form of sin, at least from a home. And when children come to come and stay with us, they learn these vices and take them to their own homes also. And then teach their own people. And that's how the iniquity is transformed into, from one form to another, to complex forms. And our families become a problem. I don't. It wouldn't be nice that we will allow Satan to have his way. I don't want Satan to have his way. He has done a lot of damage already. But thank God that Jesus is willing to change all those damages and heal them. 
So I'm praying that God will help that every one of us will begin to check in those areas where Satan has already has a, had a, uh, where Satan has a foothold uh, because of maybe um, the, the principles that have imbibed from youth up, and then begin to make such changes because uh, God has a a pattern which He has given so that my character can be well rounded and well formed, and it will be it will, it, is, it is it is for my good. You know who likes it that. His, uh, his life is like that. Who likes it that way? He doesn't... No, there's no peace for the wicked, as the Bible will say. Nobody has peace when he or she is doing any of these things that are wrong. We know that there's our conscience pricks us whenever we remember how evil we are, when we compare ourselves to God's standard of righteousness. So, better we have peace in doing that which we know is right by standing for what God has said should be, start, should be stood for. Instead of... Um, you know, following the pattern that we have cultivated from, from our own. Amen. Say the fifth commandment enjoins upon children's obedience to their parents, and parents are to help their children to keep this commandment by acting their part in cooperating with God in requiring obedience through childhood and youth. In other words, the the parent is helping, is acting his part to cooperate with God in the training of the child. So he must understand that he is just like aiding. The child is not really his. So if he if the training is wrong that's that's a solemn responsibility. Talking about um, um, Joshua, he says, and he spake all his words unto the children of Israel, saying, that when your children shall ask the fathers in time to come, say, what what mean ye by these stones? So in other words, the children are always asking, asking. They want to learn, and some parents are not even there to guide the child. And then there are families where, in pursuit, they give the, the, the child to nannies to train. You don't see mother, you don't see father. Like in places like the USA, you see, you see a child from four months. In fact, from three months, they have the child being... Uh, they have all the breastfeeding thing arranged. Parents are not there, so it's, for the Adventists, that's very dangerous. It's like you you give the child to to Babylonians to train, and then you come home ten years later, the child is not even interested in spiritual things. And we've been told that there are, there are ages, stages three and seven, where the things that the child needs to learn that time, if you pass that time, then the child will grow as, it's inclined to grow as the tree when it's bent like this. So, very important moments in the child's life is being, we parents pass those times because maybe in pursuit of one thing or the other, and then they, their responsibility responsibility as a father who is supposed to be on that road to God maybe you miss it and then the child grows with traits of those characters 
and then become a problem in, in the world. Amen. I'll be reading from Daughters of God, talking about one of the elders then, Elder E.P. Daniels, not E.G. Daniels now, one of the elders. He used to preach also. Just listen to what the Spirit of Prophecy had to say to him. The Daughters of God, page 203. Page 203 down, that's where I'm going to be taking it from. It says, You can talk well in regard to parents training their children. That's Elder E.P. Daniels. And your wife, whom I love and respect in the Lord, would make an excellent lecturer upon this subject. That's training children. But your practice contradicts the excellent principles that you have presented. She does not practice her own teachings. When your customs are seen and your home life practices revealed, the people become confused and disgusted. You do not train your children for usefulness, to practice self-denial and to keep the way of the Lord. Why are you so irresolute in purpose, so feeble in action, so vacillating in principle, so weak in faith? These things are a mystery to those who have an opportunity to become acquainted with you in the pulpit and at home. Elder Daniels, they see you one day strong and self-assured, next day they see you in a complete change. You affirm strongly things exactly opposite to what you affirmed as strongly the day before. I'm in page 204 now. When I was shown the great need of reform in the education and training of your children, I was filled with pain that I cannot express because I saw that you did not act your part in bringing about the best good of your children. You need the work of the Spirit of God in your own heart for right principles and not governing your life. If you were right with God, you would not be doing as you have been doing in reference to your children. You would not present such an example as you have in their management. You should depend far less upon self and far more upon Jesus. If you were closely connected with God, you would rule your children wisely. Zua, your daughter, is impulsive. She lacks experience in the right direction. She needs to be guided and restrained instead of being indulged and flattered. If you were discerning, if your souls were imbued with the sanctifying power of truth, you would need no advice in regard to her attending Snell's seminary. That's a school that was not Adventist. If you were asked concerning the daughter of another, you would know just what course to, the parents should pursue in relation to the education of their child. You have placed barriers in the way of Zoa's salvation, for you have yourselves chosen as her associates the vain, the proud, the unbelieving. Now look at what she has to say about the daughter, about the wife. Sister Daniels, you have not met your solemn responsibilities as, as a mother. When you have aided your daughter to deceive her father in regard to her dress and expenditures. Both of you have been deceived, that's now husband and wife, have been deceived and carried away with false ideas in regard to training the training of your children. You must be thoroughly transformed by the grace of Christ so that you can teach your children by precept and example the good and right way. I'll stop here. So it's still the same thing here I was saying about um, precept and example. <clears throat> it was the, the bad part of this thing was that the man could teach very well. <laughs> was that the man could teach very well. 
And like she said, they will make good lecturers. But when it comes to practice, they were failing. And it was affecting church members, and I'm sure the children too, because they are seeing the father like this today, and like this tomorrow. The mother is even helping the child to deceive the father with respect to dress. Oh, my daughter doesn't wear this cloth. Oh, she doesn't wear that. But secretly, she's supporting the daughter to wear those clothes. And you can see that she, they choose friends for their children, the ones that are proud. And of course, when you talk of pride, dress comes into the picture now. Because they were the ones who dress worldly. You get. So it was influencing the child. It's the, in their hearts, they like such things. But when it comes to teaching in pulpits, oh, they will say all the right things. But in practice, they won't say the right thing. It says, okay, let me continue. You say I should continue. It says, Zoa is full of affectation and deception. She is superficial in nearly all her attainments. Her school life has given her an outside polish. But her heart is unrenewed, for she has no love for God, no love for the society of Christians. She is in the ranks of the enemy, and should she die today, she would not enter the kingdom of heaven. Paul, the son, is in no better condition and your youngest girl is far from having a lovely character. Your own training is in every way defective. May the Lord have mercy on you all that you may not lose your soul and the souls of your children. I'll just stop there. She has like two more paragraphs. But stop there. The key thing I just want to bring up from where we read the last paragraph says that the Ten Commandments come from, from the God of heaven whose heart is full of love, who is an infinite in wisdom, who never makes a mistake. He is too wise to err, too good to harm anyone who will obey his requirements. And says, blessings will follow those who obey and who administer the law of Jehovah. What I just want to speak on is the, our minds to accept that the best model to use is the principles of God. The, mess, the best foundation. Because there are so many advices here and there. You may be thinking this is the best way to do, you know, both from walk to feeding to dress to sleep. We need to, with thank God we have the counsel of the spirit of prophecy and we have the Bible. If God said six days shall thou labor, that's the principle. Everybody in the house should work for six days doing house chores or those who are going outside. There's a time to wake up. Mark one uh, thirty-five will tell us that Jesus woke up a great while before the day. That's the principle to apply in the home. Then we come to the issue of um, the, uh, the influence. But before that, so we need to accept that God's principles are the best way, or is the best way rather, as um, we are becoming more enlightened in the, according to the world. We think of so many things. I want to send my child to this school and that school. I want to do this. I want to do that. I want you to go for a picnic. I want you to go for a party. I want you to do so many things. There are so many dreams, whether from the movies or from the, our friends, from chats on WhatsApp or Facebook that suggest to us ways to raise God, uh, children. But we should come back that God's ways, there's no mistake in it. It has raised the best of men, Samuel, eh? the best of men, Moses, under the mother. So we, being God's children, 
want to raise, raise people who are God's children too. It's not so. We do not send our children to the world or uh, train them based on worldly principles and still expect them to be the children of God. The Ten Commandments, God's principles are or is still the best. We should not look down on it. It's an act of love. He's, he knows what he's protecting us from. He knows what he's and He didn't give it to us to pin us down, to make us useless. I mean, I don't know if you get my point. So, if God worked for six days, the Bible says that God even saw that the world was in chaos. I mean, form without form and void. Which means, we can learn from principle that God does not like disorderliness. Okay? Which means, from there also, we can say, okay, our houses, the way we do our things should be what? Orderly. So, from there, you can begin to learn principles from God. You know, in the post you made yesterday on the webinar, where you talk in the pamphlet 140, pamphlet 140, page 11, paragraph 2, where you was talking about they receive the wrong education. Because we don't appreciate God's laws as the best, sometimes we expose our children to the wrong word, education. I'll read some things. I said they receive the wrong education by associating with children who have no training who are left to obtain a street education. Satan uses these children to educate children who are more carefully what brought up. Before Sabbath keeping, parents know that what evil is being done, the lessons of depravity are learned. The souls of their children are what? Corrupted. So we need to employ the right means. Understand that God's standards is not defective. Appreciate them. Use it to train ourselves or subject our own feelings, our own emotions. And also use it to subject the feelings of who? our children and their emotions. By and by, we raise godly children, people who can stand before the world in God's character, not in the character and in the mood of the world. So that's just what I want to say. So at this, I just want to add to what you said about orderliness. It's a very important statement. I re- last month, the devotion. This is our high calling page 230. There was something I saw there. I read it again and I said, I didn't think, I don't think I got it the way I got it when I read it recently. It says, There are rules and regulations which govern the whole heavenly host. All move in order. All there is cleanly. All is is in perfect harmony. And everyone who will be counted worthy to enter heaven will be thoroughly disciplined. And will be without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. What does it mean thoroughly disciplined? That means what you just described before. You must be a type of person who likes to follow rules and regulation. And you must be able to move in order. The uncultivated have spots and wrinkles upon them now. They had better lose no time in commencing the work of cleansing themselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. So, that means that it is a spot and a wrinkle on you when you are not able to follow system and order. When rules and regulations do not govern you, wherever you go to their rules and regulations, if you don't know how to follow rules and regulations, then you will not follow it when you get to heaven. All the angels follow rules and regulations. I think if you read any writing, see they even have a card. Which they present before they enter into it. They follow rules. Don't go here, you don't go there. Don't go there, you don't go there. Go here, you go. Come back, you come back. 
do things at this time, you do it at that time. So if, as a child now, if you are not used to following rules and regulations, if system and order is not part of your life, timetable, wake up by this time, then do this by this time, do that by that time, a place for everything and everything in their place, a time for everything and everything in their time. If you are not used to that kind of life, it is a spot and it's a wrinkle. And she said that everyone who will go to heaven must learn to function function on that because it's we are, we are talking about home on earth and home there in heaven. If in home on earth rules and regulations are not set and people cannot follow it, it's, you will still be able to follow. It. You think that yes, I know the rules, but you can always bend them anytime. These are not ten commandments now. Rules, you know, rules and regulations is not necessarily ten commandments. Wake up by this time is not ten commandments. You get. It's, it, it, nevertheless, it is a spot and wrinkle because you would be a discordant note in heaven if you don't know how to follow rules and regulations. Let's pray. Our loving Father in heaven, we thank you for the lessons you have taught us this morning. We are children and we can be parents also. We are preparing for the kingdom. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to put into practice all that we have learned. Grant us of your spirit, O oh Lord, and help us, Lord, that in any way we have been wrong in following this fifth commandment, that you forgive us and help us now to be people who will have no spot or wrinkle in our lives, that we will be orderly and we will love to follow rules and regulations from your word. Do this. Take the glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. He whose heart is kind beyond all measure Gives unto each day what he brings
Father in heaven, thank you for making us to see this day. Thank you, Father, for protecting us through the night. As we are about to read devotion now, we pray, Lord, that you grant us understanding, grant us of your spirit, and give us the true meaning of all that we read. And give us grace to put them into practice also. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. For me, I cannot help but see what we were talking about last night. Here. Hmm? Not, mm. it's, it's right here. Mm. And it's, it's not as if we read this recently. It's just saying exactly what, what we were saying in the second to the last paragraph. Our duties alienated to us. And uh, as a child, too, if you can see and understand the duty of your parent, when you see them doing the duty, what should you do? Understand that they are doing their duty. From this thing, now, what is the duty of a guardian or a father or a mother, from what we read, towards the, their, their ward or their child? If you look at the second to the last paragraph there, just go down to the second to the last paragraph. It starts by saying, make the word of God your guide in the education of your children. Now, in, in making them to know God, this is what they are going to teach them. And this is the, what they have in mind, ever considering what will be for their future good. So, while trying to make the child know God, the reason they are doing that is knowing in the future, this will be for their own good hmm? now what is it they are going to be teaching them from the word of god it's not as if it's separated from the word of god what does the word of god say a child should know look at it now it says the mother may bestow upon her daughters an education that will be invaluable invaluable means you cannot it you cannot value it if i say let me value this house now somebody will say okay this whole compound we value it at 20 million but she's saying that what the mother would teach her daughter, the education, you cannot put money on it. Do you understand? You can't buy it. Money cannot buy it. It's invaluable. The kind of education, if the mother will do her work, the kind of education she will give her daughter or her son is something that money cannot buy. Then even the father too. How, what is the thing that she will teach the daughter, sorry, that money cannot buy? By training them to bear their share of family Burn. burdens. Every family has burdens. They have work to do. The father goes out, the mother has a work to do within the house, to clean the house. If you see the garden in the house, to do something about it, the compound, to sweep it, to cook the food, to dress the house, to bed, to wash the bedspreads, to wash the plates, to also clean the windows and the nets and mop the floor. And all those things are house burdens. And when teaching the child to do these things, she's giving the child an invaluable lesson. You cannot, nobody, you can't pay for it. Nobody can pay for what has been taught. Alright, the next part is the father and his son. The father may give his son, his sons, a capital. What is capital? Capital is what you have, what you use to start your own business or life. Life is a business, you know. And you need some capital, which is not money, to start in life. If you have money and you don't have a capital of skills, 
the capital of intelligence, the capital of industry, and hard work, and diligence. You can't go anywhere in life. And that is what the father can teach his son. The father may teach, give his sons a capital of more worth than gold or land. Hmm? So what the child really needs is not gold and land. If he has gold and land, and like I used to say at that time, if somebody give us 100 acres now, what are we going to use it to do? <laughs> really, what are we going to use it to do? Can you really improve on it? At least we've heard stories of people who have gotten lands. A whole community will say, take this amount of land, take use for what you... But you can't use this to do anything, really. Yeah, there are many more things you need before you can use that land properly. So, so the father can give his son a capital more worth than gold or lands by teaching them to... Not teaching them useful employment, but teaching them to love useful employment. Instead of seeking happiness in idle amusements or dissipation what is that useful employment so that means from here as a child you are seeing your duty i don't need my father to tell me it is telling me that if i want capital for my life i need to love useful employment not that i need to do it some people go to farm but they don't love it some people will go to work but they don't love to work the best thing a father can teach the child or the best thing a child can learn is to love useful employment what is useful employment it is the opposite of idle amusement and dissipation now i use my strength hmm, to kick ball and kick ball and kick ball and kick ball and i sweat after i have come back who have i helped with that energy i use my energy to do all those things and i'm tired now now all that energy that was spent who has it helped it has not helped anybody but if that same energy was used in the farm or in, like I, I, saw, I saw washing the car or I saw Chiboy uh, the putting um, that sewer, a drain in the house and use cement and do all those things. I don't think anybody told him to do that in per se. And if, it's something that he loves to do. You see a necessity in the house and you say, this thing is not good like this. I need to do something about it. And then you do something about it. Useful employment. It has benefited all of us. It is energy that was used. That energy could have been used somewhere else. Idle amusement. Maybe carrying the phone and watching something. Time is going. You can categorically say nobody is benefited by the energy that was spent in doing that and the time spent in doing that. That is not useful employment. Useful employment will benefit yourself and others. So you can love useful employment. And that is what the child should learn from the father. Because now you are in a self-training or even if it's not self-training, at least you know what to permit in your life. As a child now, you say, okay, when this thing is being done to me now, I understand what is going on. They are actually teaching me useful employment. And I am to learn to love it's not to complain about it. And it is the best capital that can be given to me right now. To love useful employment. Because now is the time to form in the children habits of industry. The next one, self-reliance. <laughs> you will not be happy with yourself when you get older. You cannot do many things. You, 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 you want to do the plumbing, you call this person. You want to do this, you, you keep calling people, calling people to do everything. You cannot rely on yourself. Not because you can't do those things, but you didn't learn them. 
So that is what the one of the best things the, the parents can teach a child is habits of industry. To be industrious means to work and produce something. Hmm? Industry means you work and then something comes out of what you worked. And then self-reliance, doing things for yourself and self-control. Hmm? Then to cultivate economy and business tact. Wonderful. Economy, what is that? You think before you spend money. For example, now I say, oh, pie, pie, pie. Do you know where money is coming from? How do you eat it? Do you save for tomorrow? You get business tact. That is what I'm saying now. Thinking of how to improve and to make, uh, to get, um, what do you have? Yes, profits. Ensuring that what you are doing, there is a profit coming out of it. And knowing how to be tactful, meaning that you have the intelligence to know how to manage what you have. Whether it is cloth right now, or whether it is the small money you have, you think before you spend. Don't just spend anyhow. Or on things that are of no future and immediate benefit that will just perish with the using, like as why to say. As you use it as perish, it don't, it don't go with that. So it's those are the things you need to be learning now. Learning business tax, learning habits of industry and economy and hard work. So for all of us too, it's a blessing if you can put these things, learn them. Even it's never too late. Like I always say, it's never too late. Even if we've never learned them before, it's never too late to learn these things. The idleness and dissipation does not help anyone. Amen. Uh, continuing there, it says, uh, <clears throat> now is the time to teach yes. them courtesy mm-hmm. and benevolence toward their fellow men and reverence and love for God. Uh, it's, it's, um, it's not good when the child does, uh, does not like devotion. The child does not like when the family will gather to talk about God. When God is being mentioned, there is a frown on the face. But when there is a movie being mentioned, there is a smile. Uh, the eyes are shining because uh, something that is worth, worth more interesting than what more interesting than uh, God is being mentioned, and that is not supposed to be. Sometimes it can come as a result of the parents' attitude towards God. They take it as a formality, and so the child catches that same spirit and then does the same thing. So, if there is someone who somebody, one of us, a brother, always say, "Happy is a man whom God will teach, whom God is correct." If there is somebody who is showing uh, one this basic things that God really wants the child to possess as skills, as a capital for this life, then such an one should be happy that God God has an interest in him or her to have been giving him or her that kind of a lesson. Courtesy. We've been learning about this, this courtesy for long now. It's it's a very wonderful talent. Uh, you know, we were reading yesterday about um, uh, parents should help the children to render obedience to the fifth commandment. Yesterday, I, w- I thought about it as we were going. A young boy, a boy, greeted me as we were passing. And I nearly missed the greeting. So I, I caught it up and then answered. I remember this quote. That the children, the parents should help the children to you know, render um, obedience to that fifth commandment. Sometimes people, because of the way they grew up and the way they, uh, nobody cared or they don't care, if somebody greets them, they don't answer the greeting. But that is not good. You are not helping the person to 
to render obedience to the commandment. Person wants to render obedience and you are not really helping out. And moreover, it it also makes the person to cultivate the same spirit of uh, nobody they care now. So let me don't greet. Greeting in the morning. The first courtesy was general. When you say courtesy, mm. the first thing anybody knows in courtesy is greet. Because it should not be reminded of it every time. And I think I know that God is helping every one of us. Even not just greeting, even in other ways also. We should watch the tone which we speak with uh, those who are elderly. The courtesy will now, the, no, not just how you speak with your parents, but how you speak with those older than yourself. How you speak with those younger than yourself. You speak respectfully, fearing to... Amen. Fearing to get on their wrong side. If you do that, we are not supposed to have that kind of fear. But now, as as a, like maybe a young a younger generation, younger than maybe in the teens, person should have this thing of, I don't want to overstep my boundary. Let the person be the one telling you, don't worry, speak on, don't worry, speak on. Instead of you pushing your way and uh, speaking, it would be a wonderful thing if. Cut is learned in teens. If not, it will be hard to learn it when you are no longer uh, when you are now an adult, because then you would have, it would have formed with your character and strengthened with age. God help us so that we can start making these um, uh, changes. Another point here before and over is the one that home should be most sunny and attractive spot on earth. It may be made such by pleasant words and kind acts. And underline all a steadfast adherence to the right. Uh, steadfast adherence to, adherence to the right was what we were looking at yesterday a clean hands and a pure heart. If Jesus could be uh, termed as one who was righteous even in his uh, childhood or his teenage years or young adult years, it can be so with us. Pleasant words, kind act, and, under, um, and the steadfast adherence to right can be the motive for action in everything that we are doing. So that when somebody now says, listen, you are doing, why are you doing it? We will, not, um, we will think in this line, okay, this thing, is it pleasant? This thing, is it a kind act? This thing, is it a steadfast adherence to right? And if it is not, we can quickly correct because God is helping us to. Uh, uh, recognize that and make the change but when we don't want when we don't have these things as the things where we are looking at things where we are expecting to um you know make up uh, expecting to have in our characters pleasant words kind acts and step us adherence to that if somebody opens up and tells us ah god this thing is not why did you speak this way or why did you do this thing like this it's not kind it is not pleasant or it's not right in according to the word of god you know the word of god was used as standard We'll complain and fret. I will say somebody doesn't want our joy. Somebody is uh, policing us, which uh, sh- which should not be the case if we understand that this is what we should cultivate as characters. Amen. There's something else I want to add up here is the 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 paragraph helps us to see that what we should plan for, like you're looking at a future need. Okay, tomorrow, tomorrow, I would, I'll need to use a car. Okay, tomorrow, I'll need to drive from somewhere to somewhere. And today, there's a car in the house. We should, for instance, train the child or get ourselves trained too to know how to drive. Because tomorrow, 
if things go well, you will need to drive. I don't know if you get my point. You need to know how to use a hammer because tomorrow something may happen. You need to learn how to sew. I know when they taught us teaching in home economics those days in school. I know how many times that skill, just teaching your your clothes, maybe something just tears and you don't have a tailor or anything around you can quickly just put your fix your button in. Many people don't know how to use that simple needle and put in their their buttons or any other part of the cloth that needs to be fixed quickly. So uh, we need to uh, we need to take time. This thing requires some thoughtfulness anyway. So take time and imagine what will tomorrow need. But that even in the kitchen as a woman, I mean it, it somehow it can be uh-huh, you have to be thoughtful and why to say forethought is better than afterthought so you need to we need to take some time you may need some reflection we don't need to live a, a haphazard life um a life that is just based on maybe let's say grades i had a and b in school c and d in school f and those ones are those ones are on their side but character or what would tomorrow need tomorrow has a day after it uh, tomorrow is the next day tomorrow can be the next year tomorrow can be the next you understand 10 years what would it need it's it's true that god is the one who makes the final plan you get of what life will be but we are looking at things basic things of life you will need and i want us to also i want to tell myself not just us alone i want to tell myself these things here are is also a model for us we should not be discouraged if we have not gotten some part of these lessons and work ourselves up. Some of us don't have business tact and skill. We were only trained in engineering and sciences. We don't even know what is business and but we, we handle money. You understand? So and tomorrow we'll own businesses and we need to know how to manage them. The family is a business. Mm-hmm. Family is a business. So we need to take time and review our, our own past. We can't enter the blame game again for some of us. We are already up. We need to now train ourselves. The same way we want to train others, educate ourselves. If it's YouTube, if it's videos, if it's and then white materials are, are full of such counsels in so many areas. Dig them up and hold ourselves in their hand and teach ourselves. Sit ourselves down in class and learn. If we are too busy, make our time. Maybe when we are less busy, weekends and rest of them and educate ourselves. So that's um, like by way of example, you know that Moses was trained 40 years after the first 40 years. Uh-huh. So we he was trained 40 more years and what was he doing so we we should not get discouraged that's what i just want to say and say we are oh our time is past let's give our comments learn what god wants us to learn now for another future of usefulness tomorrow thank you you know while we were speaking i remembered yesterday's devotion of saying that uh, Satan delights to look upon disordered and ill-governed families for his success. Uh, Satan's success is not a good thing. His success depends largely upon the control he can have over the families of earth. He is determined that the standard of righteousness shall not be the rule for the formation of character. And we know this is uh, the condition that the world is. This is darkness for both in every individual stemming from the family relationship as uh, the devil has made it to be. So this thing we talk about perfection of character or we talk about freedom from sin, uh, at least all the known sin in your life. 
that the Lord has revealed to you. That we talk about all the time. It is this exactly the things now you uh, mentioned. Redemption, that's quote again in the Desire of Ages. Redemption is the emancipation from ideas which could have been gained, practices and habits that are learned in the school of the prince of darkness. Now, if the family saves school, and we are seeing in the previous devotion that Satan has most success in the control that he he has had over the families of the earth, and he's determined that the standard of righteousness shall not be the rule, this shall not be the school for the formation of character, then it will simply mean that we have been trained in our houses, we have been trained in our schools, in Satan's way. And so redemption is to emancipate us from such ideas, habits, and practices that we have gained all this time. And how is God planning to do that? Uh, it is not just about going to church. It is about this thing you just mentioned. Take up, take yourself in hand. What are those things that I am lacking as a human being? What are those skills that I did not have based on what we are learning this morning? Industry, tact, and the rest of them. These things are righteousness in action. These things are the beauties of Jesus Christ because he possessed all these characteristics. <clears throat> and we we'll take them and we we'll take ourselves into action and begin to be emancipated from the previous habits that we have inculcated or ideas we have inculcated. And this is how we are being made free from sin. The revolution now today says <clears throat> that um, we asking questions. Will you consecrate your own hearts to God that you may exert a sanctifying influence upon your children? But the main one is the next uh, question. Will you separate them from sin and sinners and by living faith connect them with God? It should be the work of every parent to cultivate all that is good and true and noble in his children. It is his duty to correct their faults, to restrain their waywardness. Is this not what God is doing for us as our Father? He is separating us from sin and from sinners, number one. He is connecting us by living faith to himself, number two. It is his work to cultivate all that is good and true and noble in us, his children. It is his duty, just as it is the duty of the parent, to correct the faults that we have developed, to restrain our waywardness. So in doing this thing, we should know that the Lord is doing it for us by His Spirit. The Lord is the one who has appointed that it should be done. So that we as children, before we grow into adulthood, whereby our conscience is seared. That's what I mean by adulthood. Now, because we will keep remaining children in the sight of God as long as we have a Heavenly Father. Um, to make that point clear, the Bible calls us little children. So, we are little children before His sight. And He wants to Train us so that we can have a mode, the heavenly mode in our lives, like Jesus Christ. Now, he, wa he wants to cultivate all that is noble and true in us. And the way he does that is by chastising, by restraining, by, uh, by whatever the, a good parent will do to his child, to bring that child up. That's what God wants to do to every one of us. And we should be ready. That is actually where I'm going to. We should be ready for that. When he's chastising, don't murmur. The same way we don't want a child to mama to, uh, to when he's been when he's experiencing this in the hands of his parents. The same, same way we would not want a child to say uh, call the parents uh, evil people because they are restraining him from what he wants to do. The same way we are to do to God. We are not to call him 
a wicked father, like Steps of Christ will say that our God will not withhold anything that is for our good. Anything he tells us to take away is something that will not be for our eternal benefit. He's training us for the future life. So may every one of us yield to the chastising of God. He says, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Then despise not the chastening of the Lord. For whomsoever the Lord loveth, him he chastiseth, as a father chastiseth his son. Though that the present chastisement might not be, it might not be, is not joyful, joyous, it is grievous. But afterward, it will yield the peaceable fruit of righteousness, which is industry, tact, uh, courtesy, uh, kind words, pleasant acts, steadfast adherence to right. This is the character of Jesus Christ. This is perfection. And may God help us to yield to that because it will start from now. Okay, I want to quickly add that in engaging in this training that God wants us to do, we need to combine it with prayers. For some of us now, we may read these things, I want to run, I want to learn everything. Remember that God is the one who orders. The Bible says that the steps of the righteous are ordered. He also said, do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, then he will direct your path. So we can also lay, we know the weaknesses we have based on what has been listed. We can lay it before God and say, Lord, we are ready. We don't know what uh, privileges or opportunities you want to give us to learn these things. But we would, by your help and by your spirit, descend and make take advantage of all the opportunities you want to use to train us in these things. You get, so we don't just run ahead of him. Then secondly, I want to also mention that what, when I, when the last paragraph said that in this freshness and bloom of you to devote them to his service. Growing up, me, I used to think when you say service, it always means evangelism, like door to door. But lately, I've understood that service simply means in reflecting the purpose of God's creation for man. That You understand? The God has a plan for making, like we were saying, the trees, the plantain tree. The plantain tree, after sunshine and rain and everything, gives you a plantain that is sweet to the taste. So it is serving God because he, God made it for food as, a, as food for man. You get When God made man, he said, let us make man in our own image. Service for God here will mean that by the time a child is well formed or I'm well formed, the character of God will be seen in everything I am doing. God's name will be glorified. Say, yes, this is really the child of God. So service here, we should have this mo- motive in training our children they will be reflecting the goodness of God. So we should have that in mind and pray that God will help us. A huge chunk of the service too is still the word of God and uh, evangelism. While service means what, like you mentioned with the plantain now, that means doing, living for someone else, which is uh, bestowing blessings on someone else which is what every plant does to us. They don't eat their fruit. They have no use of it. It is just produced for us. So also, I think we have to have something we can do to help someone else, not just for our own benefit, but to help someone else. No, not just eating, eating, eating. We have something we are producing, like the plants. Then after that too, the greatest product you can have is the Word of God, to be able to impart the Word of God on someone else. So as you are listening to the word of God, it should not just be going inside you and it's not bearing any fruit. It should bear fruit in you in such a way that it can now benefit somebody else. It can teach somebody else. It can help somebody else. We have influence. Mm-hmm. 
everybody has influence and whatever you are doing is influencing someone else even what you hear that someone did can influence you just by hearing even not seeing because i know that there were things i heard even in my choices i know I, my brother had always told me of one of his friends who was a rock addict who also helped made him to become one that one day the guy just woke up and took all his CDs, burnt everything. That thing was always in my mind. So when it came to the time for me to drop it too, I always remembered that guy. He influenced me to like, okay, did the same thing he did. Just by hearing his story, how he did that. How he said that these things are evil. And then he threw all of them away. So me too, even though I heard it years ago, when it came to time to change, I always remember that it is possible. Somebody has done this thing before. So me too. I can do it. Mm -hmm. You hear their story and you are influenced by by the, the same spirit that you of the story that you learned. Yes. So as you are listening to these things, it bears fruit in you, and you bring out the same character and teach others the same thing, either by your life or by your words. Okay. That that would then mean like um, the way I walk in the morning. You know, sometimes we see people, they wake up very early. That will mean it's possible to wake up early, actually. You see some people working hard. Yeah, that's good, hard work. Some people, their rooms are neat and well arranged and other influence is being made there. So, And then some people, when they speak, they are very upright. They keep to their words. You understand? So these are examples. Keep to time, keep to time yes. Yes. And some people can cook good meals. When you eat it, you dream of, Kai, I'll learn one day to cook well. I, I thought there's hope for me if I this person. All these things are, yes. Yeah, so let's all shine. Let us <laughs> bear the fruits. <laughs> uh, one of the habits where the parents should teach the children is self-control. That one, that one is very, very key too, because it says that uh, an intemperate man cannot be a Christian. So there is a place in the ministry of healing where he says that the physician is okay the physician is continually brought into contact with those who need the strength and encouragement of a right example many are weak in moral power they lack self control and are easily overcome by temptation when you see adults struggling with self-control, then you, you appreciate this reading that it is because of the the years that the, the training, the lapses. And many people have given up because of that struggle. Because what leads to the suicide of those LGBT people, you see. And I remember one advert like that, Tirelli. Tirelli. This is an Italian tire company. Okay, yeah. And then at the end of the, the advert, they said, power is nothing without control. And so we have finished you as adults. If we have not really mastered self. And so it, it, it is a blessing to get that training when you are young, how to control yourself. Remind me of, a, of a, what, a, what was told to Jesus. Uh, about that appetite in the wilderness. I know I said something that a man, if we, the reason why appetite was the first temptation, that is, 
in the wilderness came to Christ. The reason why it is it is it is that one is that that's the one that Adam and Eve fell from, fell. That's the one which uh, made them to fall. And if anyone should overcome appetite, that that person can overcome any other sin, because it is the great uh, this is great um, depravity that man has appetite. So self control. I'm just saying that it is indeed a wonderful thing. But without it, it is impossible to be a Christian. Like she rightly said, you cannot, you cannot take care of all that things. Self control. All right. Thank God for the lessons. Okay, just by way of uh, adding, our greatest challenge is ourselves. Our greatest enemy is self. You have desires that are against the character of God. Anxiety, worry, fear, laziness, complacency, overwork, intemperance. Eh? You, you have overeating. You have disrespect. All these things are self directed they are from our own carnal nature some of us are inherited some of us have quick tempers some of them are inherited now we are fighting or resisting ourselves paul will say i die daily jesus will say if any man is coming after me let him do what the first thing you do is to deny yourself so we don't pamper self this is the way i say excuse self no and it's a good thing for us to know that issue on time because sometimes we, we have this idea in the society that makes self glorified, take pride in self, in esteem, in self, on things that are not even in any way in line with God's character. I don't know if you're getting my point. Self wants to stay on the bed till 10 o'clock and then eat and then wake up by 12 again and eat again. Those are things that self in their manifestations. So, but we, we, we thank God that He's teaching us to deny self. Hmm? So that the best can do what can come out. If somebody is sleeping and another person is learning how to weld somewhere else, the same time was used for different things. Who is going to be more useful? Who is going to be more useful tomorrow? Hmm? The one who did what? That's that's what God is trying to teach us. Let's just take our time in the best way and then give good fruits at the end of our life. So we'll pray. ourselves too and also to put those who are younger to Lord we thank you for Proverbs that has told us to train up a child in the way should go Lord we ask specifically that your spirit will give our side to prompt us to right action Lord when our selfish desires our carnal natures want to go against your review please I pray that the Holy Spirit will prompt us to right action Amen Give us good thoughts, give us good words, give us good songs, give us good ideas. Even when you want to use people to correct us, help us not to be offended at it. Help us to be humble to receive these instructions. Father, we also pray that if there are doors and opportunities that you want to use to train us, that will make us better, please. I pray that by your grace, you give us a a willingness to go into these doors, Lord. 
Give us hope as we walk through these paths, Lord. Amen. Thank you, Father. We pray that today will be a blessing to us and a blessing to those whom we shall meet. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for hearing us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good morning. Let's pray. Our loving Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, for making us to see this day. We thank you for protecting us through the night. Once more, we are here to hear from you. We pray, Father, that as we go through the devotion, that you will grant to us the gift of your Holy Spirit, that we will pray, place everything we read in the proper light, understand it, and that you give us power to put into practice all that we will learn. Do all this and take the glory in Jesus' name I've prayed. Obedience, an element of greatness. Our high calling, September 15. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 1 Jesus has given to childhood and youth a perfect example. Study the pattern, Christ Jesus, and copy it if you would be like him, pure, holy, sinless, and undefiled. Study the childhood of Christ. He was the Son of God, yet the Bible record tells us he returned from Jerusalem and was subject unto his parents. Jesus, the world's Redeemer, did as he was told, even if the task was not agreeable to his feelings. Obedience is an element of true greatness. No one can be truly good and great who has not learned to obey with alacrity. When tempted to have your own way in regard to the wishes of your parents, say, no, Jesus was subject to his parents. Ask help of Jesus who knows the temptations of every child, of every youth. For he has been tempted and knows your every weakness and will help you to overcome it. Seek to be useful, to help your parents, to be caretaking and thoughtful. You can help them in a variety of ways. Doing what you can do cheerfully with quick step your face bright with gladness because you can do something for your parents to lighten their load will make you a blessing in the house. All these little duties faithfully done are entered upon the ledger of heaven. God will make no mistakes. He will make an accurate entry of all your life duties done to his glory. So never frown but always carry a cheerful happy face, a ready hand to help an attentive ear to hear the requirements and a heart to obey, a quick sympathy for those who need help. Remember, your characters are not finished. You are building up day by day a character. Weave all the kindness, obedience, thoughtfulness, painstaking and love into it you can. Make it after the divine model. Educate yourselves that you may possess the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. You can make the world better by living in it, if you only do the very best you can. Amen. Right? The devotion seems to be addressing children and youth. So, I'll just comment on that before I can flesh out some lessons for adults also. 
in the first paragraph we are told to do something and that is study the pattern a pattern means something that you are supposed to copy something that you are supposed to learn from and what is the pattern here jesus christ his life his character and now as for children and youth even adults depending on the stage of life you are and not just the stage but even the situation that you find yourself you can see in the life of christ an example of how to respond to different situations as for children it says if they would study the pattern jesus christ they would know what to do and when you study the pattern jesus christ you would find he returned that's from the first paragraph now he returned from jerusalem and was subject unto his parents subjects to be subject to someone means to be under their control hmm? to be subject means to be what under their control this is jesus here even as a child of 12 years he already was more spiritually intelligent than his parents but even though he was more spiritually intelligent than them the bible tells us that he was what under their control and when it comes to even physical uh, ability he was already the bible says that the child grew in favor uh, in what stature what else in what wisdom. wisdom what else in favor with god and man in wisdom jesus was even wiser than his brothers and even his parents but even in all this he was still subject to them then what of us who are not as spiritual or as wise what should we do if jesus who was wiser who was more spiritual than us was still subject to his parents it shows us an example that as youths or children we should be subject to our parents in things that they tell us to do of course if you read the book desire of ages we'll read chapter 7 chapter 9 that talks that says uh, chapter 7 as a child chapter 9 days of conflict which was his youth his teenage years up to his youth maybe 20 upwards and then his childhood we saw there how christ behaves if you've read it before he will still not do things that were contrary to the word of god if his brothers require him to do things that are contrary to the word of god he will not do it or the rabbis he, he would always follow the right thing but when it comes to duty even when it was not agreeable with his feelings when he was asked to do it he would do it that's why the second paragraph says jesus now jesus not me but the world's redeemer of all people did as he was told even if the task was not agreeable to his feelings obedience is an element of true greatness no one can be truly good and great who has not learned to obey with what alacrity alacrity means immediately quick and prompt without grumbling without murmuring without complaining without frowning we read that later and the, an advice is given to children that says when tempted to have your own way so having your own way is a temptation so here's what we should do 
when tempted to have your own way in regard to the wishes of your parents, say, no. Jesus was subject to his parents. Ask help of Jesus, who knows the temptations of every child, of every youth. For he has been tempted and knows your every weakness and will help you to overcome it. Seek to be useful, to help your parents, to be caretaking and thoughtful. You can help them in a variety of ways. And I think in the second to the last paragraph, it says, So never frown, but always carry a cheerful, happy face, a ready hand to help, an attentive ear to hear the requirements, and a heart to obey, a quick sympathy for those who need help. Like the Bible says, Happy is the man who God will do what cover his iniquities. And like we will say here, God will say, <coughs> Happy are you when men, when God is doing what? Correcting you. It says, Never frown, but always carry a cheerful, happy face, a ready hand to help, an attentive ear to hear the requirements. You know, you could just, somebody will call you now and be telling you something. You're, you're already working out. The ear is not attentive to hear. You're already grumbling. Oh, yes, they have called me again. But now we are told, have an attentive ear to hear the requirements and a heart to obey. A quick sympathy for those who need help. So quick sympathy means you don't need to be called. You can already see that Ada needs help. You can see that mommy needs help. You can see that daddy needs help in this thing or that thing. Don't wait for him to call you. He comes back from work. He is still upstairs. He's expecting that you will come down and do what? Assist. Whether he bought something, come and carry them, take them into the kitchen, wash them, keep them into the fridge. Don't be expecting, oh, somebody else will do it. This person will do it. That person will do it. There should be that quick sympathy. You understand their need. So that you are not called all the time to do something. You go and do it yourself. And, of course, this does not apply only to children, but even adults. The, the paragraph before that, which is the... Let me see, that's the one to the third, fourth paragraph there says towards the end that doing what you can do cheerfully with quick step, your face bright with gladness because you can do something for your parents to lighten their load will make you a blessing in the house as opposed to doing it with a frown. But this time, doing it with your face lightened, happy because you can help. Knowing that you can help should make you happy. That means you shouldn't be self-absorbed. Only doing things for your own self. But before you can help somebody, you need to help yourself too. It's not so. If you have not arranged your room, washed your clothes, swept your room, taken your bath, brushed your teeth, you've not even cared for yourself. How can you not care for another person? So for children, I think, and even I would say adults too, these are ways that we should conduct ourselves and all this is drawn from the life of Christ. Amen. Okay, the, in the subject of humility where Christ was under the control of his parents in the book uh, Christian Education 179 paragraph 2 says that Christ humbled himself from the position of one equal with God to that of a servant his home was in Nazareth, a place proverbial for wickedness. 
His parents were among the lowly poor. His trade was that of a carpenter, and he labored with his hands to do his part in sustaining the family. For thirty years he was subject to his parents. Thirty years. The life of Christ points to our duty to be diligent in labor and to provide for those entrusted to our care. Okay, so there are a few things I want to comment here. One is Christ humbled himself. This is one equal with God. I'm just imagining Jesus washing plates, sweeping the house, washing clothes for maybe the dad or helping the mom in the kitchen shows. It's time to cut the vegetables. Uh, your brothers are not around there in the farm. I need you to help me do this, do that. And you can imagine Jesus, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, coming down to wash plates. And then, eh? Why is he washing plates? Because that's, I mean, I'm saying as a child now, this is, this is the thing that he can do to sustain the family. Okay. Then you see him doing this for 30 years, different responsibilities. Maybe it's time for those who are in the village, it's time to go to the farm. He'll carry the firewood or the keg of water. For those who are in the cities, he's washing the car. I mean, the reading says for 30 years. 30 years is, is, <laughs> 30 years is not 20 years. Old. And he is subject to family. Uh, rules and whatever that will help to sustain the family. What I'm looking at again here is the sustaining of the family. Whatever one can do to help things to move smoothly. We should not regard our age. Let it be done. And then it will be a blessing. So that's an, uh, something I just want to add there. Just to follow on with the thought. I'll read from Adventist Home, page 282, paragraph 5. Say, children miss their opportunity of obtaining a most valuable education that will fit them for future usefulness. God wants the children of all believers to be trained from their earliest years to share the burdens that their parents must bear in caring, in caring for them. To them is given a portion of the home for their rooms and the right and privileges of having a place at the family board. God requires parents to feed and clothe their children, but the obligations of the parents and the children are mutual. On their part, children are required to respect and honor their parents. Parents are not to be slaves to their children, doing all the sacrificing, while the children are permitted to grow up in careless and unconcerned, letting all the burdens rest upon their parents. Indolence taught through mistaken kindness. Children should be thought very young to be useful, to help themselves and to help others. Many daughters of this age can, without remorse of conscience, see their mothers toiling, cooking, washing, or ironing while they sit in the parlor and read stories, knit, edging, crochet, or embroider. 
their hearts are as unfeeling as a stone. So, so from the reading, we we it is clear. So I just want to elongate one point that says that the children should lighten the burdens of the parents. And, and but today we see some parents are even regretting that they some children they, they give birth to some children because it's like we are increasing their burdens, and and the reading is not even saying that you buy a house for them or it's little things. I mean, we there are things that are within our reach, and we can and these things will give them something to hang on memory wall so that uh, it will give them joy like the proverb will say my son make my heart glad so it's time to take the reading as it reads and give our parents something to be happy about okay still on the same reading Adventist home this time page 23 paragraph 4 says but where does this wrong originate that is the wrong of what we just saw of Parents are walking, the children without conscience are watching television, reading books, crocheting and doing all those irrelevant things. Where does it come from, the wrong? Who are the ones usually most to blame in this matter? The poor deceived parents. They overlook the future good of their children and in their mistaken fondness, let them sit in idleness or do that which is of but little account, which requires no exercise of the mind or muscles, and then excuse their indolent daughters, I would say, or sons, because they are weakly. What has made them weakly? In many cases, it has been the wrong course of the parents. A proper amount of exercise about the house would improve both mind and body. But children are deprived of these true false ideas until they are averse to work. If your children have become accustomed to labor, they will soon become weary. They will, if your children have become unaccustomed to labor, they will soon become weary. They will complain of side ache, pain in the shoulders and tired limbs, and you will be in danger through sympathy of doing the work yourselves rather than have them suffer a little let the burden upon your children be very light at first and then increase it a little every day until they can do a proper amount of labor without becoming so weary so here we can see where the problem is with the children it is from the parents when the child has not been taught from a young from babyhood that he has a duty towards them when the only duty they have been taught is you should go and get first position in school and that's when I'll be happy with you. Then later when they are now older, you want to now make them understand that they have other duties to do. It's not it's not something they are used to. But then on both ends, though the parents have made a mistake, the child now knows his duty. God is speaking because this is where God now interferes in the life of a child. When the parent has not done their duty, God through the church or through his word then tells the child, even though your parents did not tell you, like he's telling us today, this is what is required of you. You are not to say, oh, they didn't teach me since I was a child now, so it's not my fault. Now that God has told you, it is now your fault if you don't do it. Because you cannot say, eh, they did not teach me well as a young person. Fine, God has heard, they didn't teach you well. That is why I am coming to tell you. Just like Abimelech and Abraham. Abimelech had a wrong information about Sarah. He thought that it was Abraham's sister. And he took her as a wife to himself. Then God came to him and said, You are a dead man this night. This person you took is another man's wife. 
And he said, in the innocency of my hands and the clearness of my mind that I do this, you know that I did it innocently. Because the woman said, she, even she said that she is his sister. I didn't know. God said, yes. I knew that you didn't no. know. That is why I have come to tell you, so that you will not put your hand in sin. And that's the way God deals with all of us. Now, even me too. All of us had some wrong training when we were growing up. We had it. But then God now comes to train us himself and says, okay, since your parents did not tell you this, I am telling you, do it. You cannot now say, eh, they didn't tell me now, I'm not going to do it. No, we are no longer excused when God has now finally spoken to us. So now as a child listening to this, what will I do? When I'm now seeing like somebody is, I'm doing, oh, my head is paining me, my body is paining me. What am I expecting from my guardian? They should not have mistaken what? Sympathy for me. They should allow me to do what? Suffer a little. Because they are doing their own job as unto who? God. So you should not make me get offended with them. When I see them pushing me forward, pushing me, you will do this work. Do it. And what you look at yesterday, look at today. Did you die? Did you get the headache you said you were going to get? What of the pain limbs? Did you really get them? Ask yourself then, what am I, what am I complaining about really? Were my, were my murmurings and complaints really justified? Many days have gone by. All I complain about, have they really happened? The things I said will happen. Oh, I'll have a headache. My, pain, my body will pain me. I'll, those things, did they really happen? As if, nothing like that. So you find out that even you need to adv- advise yourself and say, all oh, this is my complaint is unnecessary. I'm just the one that is making life difficult for, for myself and for others. So... That's how to train oneself. And as adults, I wanted to say now, it's not just for children. As adults too, we should learn to discipline ourselves to labor and duty in whatever direction. Every time, every, every time should be spent not idly doing nothing, but at least being useful in one way or another. It should not be spent in indulgence and indolence and laziness. You can be on your phone now. You can be useful, yes, on your phone. But on the other hand, you can be useless too. While one person is doing one work in the farm, another one being in the kitchen, make sure that you two who are not in the farm or the kitchen, you are spending that time wisely. Maybe you are helping somebody else somewhere, whether it's phone call or chat or teaching somebody something useful, not in useless indulgence. So, and then too, whenever there is a burden to be lifted and you see it, put your hands on the plow and help the person. When you see that, oh, this person has gone, is doing so much and needs help, then put your hand down to help the person. It applies to us. Even if you are employed by someone, this is the relationship. This Jesus relationship to his parents is the same relationship of an employee to their employer. Do what they ask you to do, even if it is not agreeable with your feelings. Do it cheerfully. Do it with a face lighted up, knowing that I'm happy to relieve you of your burdens. I'm happy to help you. Except in cases where you are told to go against God's word. That is when you should soberly and uh, patiently say you can't do this thing. But as far as it's something that needs to be done, one should be ready to help. Okay, I want to give um, something about the motivation for this duty. Why do we have a responsibility towards our parents? And before I make that point, I also want to say that this relates to how we treat God too. The reading in Adventism highlights that to them, that is to children, 
is given a portion of the home for their rooms. So there's accommodation given to you. And the right and privilege of having a place at the family board, which means they've also given us what? Food to eat. God requires parents to feed and clothe them. So they've also given us what? Clothing. Adventist home, page 283, paragraph 1. Then, but the obligations of parents and children are mutual. So, on their part, children are required to respect and honor their parents. So, from here we see, now, based on what our parents have given to us, based on what our employers have given to us, yes, based on what God has also given to us, we owe Him the responsibility of lovingly serving what him so from the parents point of view we should not take things for granted like we used to say uh, the house someone puts effort the parents went out run around and make sure there is a shelter make around, around there's food in, on the table in the, in the sense that now why i think we should not take it for granted is that as a child i know eh, like this uh, chico's name is here now ask him to go and walk and take care of his feeding take care of his accommodation, take care of his clothes. He cannot earn a dime. Mm. You understand? So compa- you can't be able to take care of yourself. So we should not take it for granted that we have these benefits from our parents. Even the sympathy we get from them, the understanding, say pay our school fees. Eh? We cannot do these things on ourselves. So now, understanding that they are putting, in, putting enough you understand to take care of us, we should. should yes, love in us. That this thing I cannot do for myself, someone is doing it for who? For me. For me. So you take it to God. We receive air. We cannot oxygen. We know how much it costs if you want to be in the hospital to receive oxygen. We sleep through the night, unconscious of ourselves, and we wake up in the morning. Then you talk about the the food we eat. God makes sure that the season, the rain falls and everything. We have all the beautiful plants, the plantain, the rice, the wheat, the bread. Everything is carefully calculated. Then we have the ministry of the angels protecting us all through the night. We have the Holy Spirit reminding us of our duties. I'm trying to say we receive benefits from who? God and from our parents. Learning to be grateful to our, in service to our, in serving our parents helps us to also learn how to serve God well. If you take for granted what our parents give to us, we will also take for granted the thing God has given to us. So I want us to, myself, not take for granted the things God has done for me, not take for granted, even at my age, the things my parents have done for me. I mean, all the struggle. Yes, do it cheerfully because they took care of us or me. Yes, and I'm still doing that when I did not, I was not even aware of my needs. So God also takes care of us when we are not even aware of our needs, like in sending Christ, when we don't even know what sin is. So we, and we have what we call the victory over sin. If Christ had not suffered, you understand? Man, who is going to be talking about uh, righteousness by faith and talking about freedom from sin? So understanding what our parents have done, whether they are old, or we are younger than, uh, they are young in some respect, we should lovingly let the action spring from love, not complain or worry. Try to seek for how to really help in the family circles. Really, sometimes I I hope this 
thought stays in my own mind as a spring of action both to man and to God. Uh, I pray God will really help us to this effect. Amen. I just want to buttress the point you made on how it has affected me personally. I know I usually talk about this not taking things for granted. I'm just realizing now that even though I talk about it a lot, I've not really understood how it has helped me in the aspect of not taking things for granted. I know now that what really helped me in doing the things of God is that same mindset. It first of all was done with my mother. In gratitude for my mother, I was doing most of the things I was doing. If you leave me alone, I may not want to go to school. This two one first class thing people are talking of, me, I really did not care about those things. But because my mom, I could see the effort. After my dad died, I could see the effort she was putting. Are you listening? After my dad died, I was seeing the effort my mom was putting into, into taking care of us. And the thing used to touch me. I see her laboring here to get this shop, try to do this. I'll go to the shop and sit down there for her. Or maybe sometimes all day. Or sometimes she may be there. She doesn't need to call. I will just relieve, want to go and relieve her. Go and stay in the shop so that she can go home. And go and do other things. I'll stay there till morning, till night, so that I'll come back home, assist her, because I was mostly the one at home. My siblings were in school, so those that relationship we had of trying to lighten her burdens was what was carrying me till I entered into school. All I was thinking about, even my food stuff, I, I manage everything properly. Don't look for an extravagant life. Sometimes trek. I don't want to call her because I know she's not working. I don't want to call her and say, "Send me money." I'm, the one she has given me is already enough. So I'll try and manage it as much as possible. Don't indulge at all. This was all even helped me in entering into health reform. I don't buy meat. I don't buy fish. Eat without. Why somebody may say, oh, what is, you need meat and fish. But thank God I didn't, buy, I didn't used to buy those things. It was good for me as I wasn't doing it. But the mindset was a mindset of lightening my mother's burdens. Then when I go to school, I'm reading. I'm still trying to lighten her burden because I want to do well because based of my based on my idea at the time was when you do well get a good result you get a good job I want to relieve her of her burdens I remember there was this billboard I used to see in Lagos then that says you see a chicken that just hatched out of its uh, shell just newly hatched and then a big statement is written there against all odds I have survived every time I see that thing I'll be thinking of my future and be saying a day will come, I will say this thing against all odds I've survived, that I will try and help my mother. But then, God arrested me. And then I said to myself, I wrote it down, I said, man, nobody has helped me like God. In my spiritual needs, in my struggles to live a righteous life, my mom couldn't help me. And I weighed it, I said, the person who has helped me the most is God. And then I somehow, will I say, switched allegiance. And it was, it was apparent that I switched allegiance. Those things, yes, those, that family loyalty now died down a bit. But I couldn't do that except it was there to start with. If I have not understood what it means to be grateful to a human being and submit to them and try and lighten their bodies and try my best to do what I can for her, my mother, in gratitude for what she was doing for me. My mom would call me even when I didn't need her to call and ask me, do you have money? I'll say, hey, I can't mind. you say, don't worry, I'll send you something. Just send me a small 5,000. And she, I knew how she was trying to help me. And I was grateful. So me, my own, I was doing my best to read, 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 ensure that I get that result just to make her happy. 
But then the time came and I saw that God is the one who was doing more for me than any human being. And the best I can do for my mother is actually to serve God. It's not that I switched loyalty per se. They thought I did that, but that was not the case. I could see that. I said, God is actually the one taking care of my mother. I remember what I told you that day now. If I say, let me do what my mom wants me to do. And God says, oh, you see, I called you to do something for me and you are using your mother as an excuse. Okay, take care of her. Let me see whether you can really take care of her. Can I really take care of her? Her sickness or her burdens? I can't even do it. I decided, okay, God will take care of her. And yet, even in taking care of her, God still used me to do that. Not as if he just did it miraculously. It is true the things that I even learned on health reform and the natural remedies. I remember how it helped her to the arthritis she had in her hand. It went. So in, in serving God, it was the best help I could give to my mother. Even till now, her high blood pressure is not as bad as it was. She now takes herbs. She's, her diet, she has removed some oil and removed some meat and is now limited. So she's now better. Her health is far better. She can still go to farm, do a lot of things. She's working well. So you see that in serving God, I was able to help her. The principle is you must learn how to be grateful to man first. If you are not even doing that for man and lightening man's burdens, how can you want to lighten God's burdens? It will not, that thing will not be awakening you at all. God who you have not seen, you want to lighten his burdens. When you are not used to lightening the burdens of men. You don't even care. You don't even care. You don't even see his burden himself. Uh, you, don't, you don't even sympathize that is it you don't even sympathize with his work at all all you are doing is the same way you did with your parents give me this give me that give me this give me that that's all you know same thing with god god i need this i need that give me a job give me. but you are not caring that he has work to do too you get you said what if they're not if, they're, if god doesn't give you you become angry agitated irritated because that's what you also did to the to the parents when they don't give you what you want and they don't please your indulgence mm-hmm. you're not happy with them you get offended you start asking why yes. why why this why that and you're always offended never happy about anything and you say you they, don't, they don't love you things he has done for you all you are seeing is what he did not give to you that you did not deserve him. okay just uh, one last point the thank god for this lessons the ecclesiastes chapter 9 Exodus chapter nine tells us um, how to how to do these things. Nine verse ten says, "Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might." God is not going to judge us for <clears throat> what we didn't do. He's going to judge us for the opportunities that came and we didn't use. As the opportunities that came that we were supposed to use or supposed to do all our use all our powers to do but then we did not do that what i mean what i mean by the first point god will not judge us for what we didn't do is that we didn't know that that was what we were supposed to do but when we know and when opportunities come and we don't use them to the best of our abilities then there is a judgment there there is um apart from being cheerful apart from being courteous apart from are moving to go and uh, answer a call, listening. And another thing also that God wants is that you should do that thing with all your mind. All your might. And when you don't do it with all your might, you're using some of that might as a, 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 a rebellion against God. So whatever thing our hand will find to do today, today, let us do it with all our mind. Now, our hands may not, it may not be that, it may be that you are the one that will see the work to do it 
uh, God opening your eyes to see to do, or you might be told to do it. Which one soever, it is the Lord that has called you to do it. Colossians chapter three, I think verse twenty three or thereabouts says that anything you are doing, you should do it as unto the Lord and not unto men. That means do it as if God is going to come and cross-check that thing very, very well. And if God does not like haphazardness, if God does not like patch here and patch there, if God does not like, ah, let me close, I be I wash and quick, quick. Why am I just uh, do have anyhow? After all, after all, the work too big. I know if God does not look at those things. He wants you to do it very, very well. Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might because God we inspect it. And then he says that um, God shall bring into judgment every work and every secret thing, whether it be good or if we know we are living in the investigative judgment period. God is cross-checking the work of every youth. He's walking in the homes, walking in the rooms, walking around to say, my son, what have you done today? My son, what are you doing now? My son, are you doing it with all thy might if it is a good thing? Whatever, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of, are of good report, think on these things. Put your hands to these things and the Lord will be glorified. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Our loving Father in heaven, we thank you for the lessons that you have taught us today. We are very grateful, Lord, for how you visited us with these counsels, these words of wisdom that are invaluable. We are grateful, Father. Father, we want to ask, first of all, that you forgive us in any way we have not uh, been grateful and responded in the right way in our past towards our parents, towards employers and anyone who has been our superiors. We also want to ask that you forgive us too for not rendering the same service towards you and being ungrateful. As we have learned today, we pray that you give us the grace to put these things into practice. Help us, Lord, to care about your course so that we would be grateful towards what you've done for us and put our hands to the plow and also to do that for our fellow men who are assisting us that we should do the same for them i pray father that these lessons we learn will make us better people indeed becoming like our lord and savior jesus christ thank you lord for answering our prayers in jesus name i pray. prayed amen, amen.